So if anyone wants to turn in their Bibles to John 7, that would be great. And if not, it's up on the screen. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders were there looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore, Jesus told them, My time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I am not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple court and begin to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does not does so to gain personal glory, but he seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a, is a man of truth. There is no, nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle and you are all, you're all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriots, you circumcised a boy on the Sabbath. Now if you can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that, you, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearance, but instead judge correctly. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't, the man, isn't this man the man that that they are trying to kill. Here he is speaking publicly and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is, is the Messiah? 
but we know where the, where the man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he's from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the court temples, cried out, Yes, you know me, you know where I'm from. I'm not here on my own authority, but, who, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I, I know him because I'm from, I, I am from him and he sent me. At this, they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his, his hour had not yet come. Still, many in the crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, he will perform more signs than this man. No, um, what, will, this, will he perform more signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I'm with, I'm with you only for a short time. And then, I'm and then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? We will go where, the, where our people live scattered among the Greeks. Will he go where <coughs> our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, you will look for me, but you will not find me? and where, where, um, where I am and you cannot come. On the last of the, and the greatest day of the festival, festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to, drink, to, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me as a scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Um, up, up to that time, the spirit had not not been given. Since had not been given. Since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, "Surely this man is a prophet." Others said, "He's the Messiah." Still, others asked, "How can the Messiah Messiah come from Galilee?" This. Does not, the, does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, where the, the town of David lived, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guard replied. <coughs> you mean he has deceived you all? The Pharisees retorted. Have any of the rulers or, the, or of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows the law, no, knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? They replied, 
Are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Well, yeah, well done, boys, and well, Amy too, thank you. Um, but yeah, persevered through that noise as well, and uh, a very long reading, right? So um, yeah, sort of a, a fair bit to look at this morning. Of course, I guess um, with a reading at long, you can't sort of look at everything, but we'll do our best to sort of uh, summarise what it's all about and, and see, um, uh, you know, I guess if you could summarise uh, what it's about, or what we see there, Jesus goes up to a temple and there's division over... Um, who he is. So that's going to kind of be uh, what we're looking at today. And as we do that, uh, let's pray. So Heavenly Father, this morning we ask that you'd please open our hearts and our minds to understand your word. And uh, we we pray uh, that you help us not to be too distracted by the noise that was going on, that you'll help us to be able to listen to you, that you'll help us to be able to uh, want to uh, take your word uh, as it is, as the word of God. And, And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, as I say, there's a well. This, this passage this morning, at this chap, uh, John chapter seven, can't, follows off where Jesus has been doing all these amazing signs and teaching, and now we start to see how people in Jerusalem are reacting to him. He does these great things, and how do they react to him? I, I, I had a little bit of a shock. I was thinking this morning, uh, well, sorry, not this morning, as I was uh, preparing for this about the way that we love to have our strong opinions about celebrities and and. Uh, and politicians, sports people, whatever they might be for being famous. I, grew, I remember growing up with my grandmother and my mother having these almighty arguments about the royal family and um, all that sort of stuff. But I got a bit of a shock this week when, well, we all did, I suppose, if you heard the news that uh, Australian tennis player Nick Kyrgios made it through to the Wimbledon final without having to play in the semi-final... Um, which I don't watch tennis, so I can't claim much knowledge. I will keep my opinion of Nick Curios to myself when I saw, you know, what, you know, a meme that uh, that gave me a bit of a shot because I'm a youth pastor. So the headline was Boomer who hasn't watched, or the the, the um, meme Boomer who hasn't watched a game of tennis since this time last year has strong opinions on Nick Curios. So another one that talked about Boomers being triggered by Nick Curios. I thought, oh no. I can't be on the, like, I'm meant to be, you know what a boomer is, like what young people are saying, boomers, it's a way of saying, uh, you know, criticising older people for being out of touch, so I can't be on the boomer side, like I'm a youth pastor, oh my goodness, so as I say, I'll keep my opinions to Nick Curios to myself, but we're certainly very divided uh, about Nick Curios, and possibly for good reason, uh, especially with some of the um, revelations or the news about uh, what he's like coming to light this week, his press conference, but, but other stuff as well. Um, and so we love to argue, but of course there's not that much at stake with, with Nick Curios. And so as I say, I'll keep my opinion to myself, and we won't, we won't have to go there. But as we read through John's Gospel, as John writes, uh, it really does matter what we think about Jesus. Because what he says is, is at stake is eternity. G- John writes right at the end of his uh, Gospel and we've already looked at John chapter 3, that Jesus offers eternal life. John says he writes his gospel so that people will believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing, people would have eternal life. So that's a lot that's at stake. What you believe about Jesus will shape your eternity. And so when there's conflict about who Jesus is, that's something to think about in some detail. 
So we're going to move through uh, John chapter 7 this morning, and we're going to see that as Jesus, even as he does these amazing and miraculous signs, not everybody gets on board with him. And there's some reasons that people start to reject him. We're going to look at those reasons, and we're going to compare them to our own lives and think about some of those reasons that people have for rejecting Jesus, anything that we might be tempted by. So let's look through, let's look at at, uh, at right at the beginning of the story we see in chapter 1 that it takes place about six months after Jesus had fed 5,000 people miraculously. It happens at another Jewish festival, the Festival of Tabernacles, which is a word that means shelters or booths. And why they have a celebration called that? Well, it was because they were remembering. It had two purposes. purposes. They're firstly uh, remembering another instance of God's provision and kindness to them in Moses' time, back at the beginning of the Bible, just about in the book of Exodus. And the history was that Moses had taken them out of Egypt and they'd wandered in the desert. And in that time, they didn't live in temporary, in permanent homes, and yet God provided for them. And so it was a time to come to Jerusalem and crowds, apparently really big crowds, would would flock to Jerusalem and they'd put up shelters of branches and wooden poles and they'd live in in that for uh, the festival. And the second reason for holding the festival was to give thanks for the harvest of fruit and things like grapes and olives for that year. So it was a festival, it was apparently the, the most popular festival in Israel at the time, people flocked in for it. And we see that Jesus is with his brothers, and they say to him, hey, look, here's your opportunity, you want to be famous, don't you? Here's your platform, go up to Jerusalem now and, and, and start doing some stuff. And John tells us, actually, that the reason his brothers say that to Jesus is because they don't believe in him. They'd just seen a large number of people turn away from Jesus, actually. In in John chapter 6, as Jesus calls himself the bread of life and says that people need to come to him for life, he uses language of, he uses this metaphor, they need to feed on him, and people kind of get offended by that or just don't understand it. So they start turning away from him. And so I suppose Jesus' brothers want to see him now just go and win the crowd back, go and do some miraculous signs. And I think it shows us that as familiar as we can be with Jesus, we can still miss who he is and what he came to do. And we can be discouraged by other people's response to him. So I don't know about you if when you saw the census data come out, uh, I think it was two weeks ago now, there was news reports and media about how there are fewer and fewer Christians or people saying they're Christians in Australia. I mean, how did that make you feel? Did it make you kind of want Jesus to do something big and spectacular and do big signs, bring people to him, you know, prove who he is? Perhaps for some of you, that's the case. Well, in verse 7, Jesus tells his brothers that they can do whatever they like, but he's going to wait for his time to go up to Jerusalem. He's not on their timing, he's on his own timing. And he says that there's people there who hate him. His brothers, he says, they're kind of like worldly They think in terms of the world, in terms of popularity and fame and wanting to do the spectacular. But Jesus says he didn't come to do just those things. In fact, he says some people are going to hate him because he exposes their evil deeds. Jesus, by being the light of the world, by being pure and holy, when people come into contact with him, are often shown the ways that they fall short of God's perfect standards and so people don't like that they hate that they hate being exposed some people would prefer some aspects of their lives stay hidden forever and and so he's not on the same mission that Jesus brothers want him to be on 
Jesus is the holy Son of God, come to reveal God, to bring light to the world, not just to come and do a a sideshow like a magician. It's interesting here that the brothers do seem to think that he can do amazing things, but they just don't realize that there's signs pointing to who he is. They don't realize that Jesus is in control, that he has plans that they don't understand, that he's come to, yes, reveal God, and ultimately to give his life to pay for our sins. And if you told the brothers that ultimately he would go to Jerusalem at a later time when he was ready to die, they'd probably think the plan was crazy. They think it's like a loss. But Jesus is Lord and he'll carry out his plan on his own timing. And so John says it's a form of unbelief not to trust him in that way. And so it could be, as I said before, that people, even in this room, have been around Jesus for decades, but they don't listen to him as their Lord. It's a trap that some might fall into. We want to see Jesus doing great things, believe positive things about the Bible, about Jesus, about Christianity, want God to be the way we want him to be, but we don't accept him as our rightful Lord. Now, the second form of unbelief is is a bit more, it's a bit more obviously aggressive, you see it in the uh, Jewish leaders, especially in verse 10, Jesus did, well, from verse 10, Jesus did go to the festival, but not in the way the brothers thought that he should. He uh, didn't go to make a big fuss. He goes later and in secret, and not to do great signs and works, actually, he goes to teach later on. But Jesus uh, was right about the Jewish leaders. As he gets to Jerusalem, well, before he's in Jerusalem, they start searching for him. As verse 11 confirms there, they're trying to track him down, and you think it's not so they can have a nice chat. And so their unbelief is more obvious, more aggressive. And then even the crowds start grumbling about Jesus. Now here's what the crowd, so here's where we see the crowds divided in their opinion about Jesus. People say that we're more divided now than ever before, very polarized, but it's probably just very human to disagree and people have always done it. Remember when Jesus fed 5,000 people, there were people saying, wow, this is our king, this is our prophet, let's, let's crown him. And now they're like, oh, hang on, no, we're not so sure about him. People think he's a fraud. Uh, people think that he needs dealing with. Now today, if you ask any historian, I'm sure they'll tell you that Jesus was a real historical figure. There's no doubt about that. But what there is doubt is his identity. And that's where people come unstuck. Many people don't believe, of course, that he is the Son of God, as he said he was. Therefore, they believe he's a fraud, like these people. A lot of people in that camp still think Jesus is like... uh, a good sort of teacher, a good spiritual guide. But if Jesus is not the son of God, if he doesn't doesn't speak on behalf of God, if he doesn't have the power and authority of God, then he's just a fraud. And so if you don't believe him and trust him as your Lord, then you're making him out to be a liar. Uh, Another form of unbelief, a third one, is perhaps one that's Maybe, maybe slightly more tempting for Christians, and it's that temptation that we have to follow the crowd, to not want to stand out, to not want to be different. And, the, and, and what we see here is it's, being, it's called being afraid. It's a temptation to abandon Jesus because of fear. Fear of what? Fear of what other people will think or think of you or do to you for, for trusting in Jesus. So about halfway through, so in verse 14, about halfway through the feast, Jesus does go and start teaching in the temple courts, which is very public. And the people are impressed by his teaching. And they sort of, they can't believe he teaches so well because he hasn't been to any of the 
the schools, the rabbi schools that the good teachers are meant to have gone to. But in verse 13, it tells us that no one will speak favorably of him. No one will admit that they're impressed by his teaching, that they might be starting to be convinced that Jesus is who he says he is. And why? They're afraid of the Jewish leaders. They're afraid of maybe losing their status, being kicked out of the, uh, the synagogue, the, the meeting of the Jewish people. And at the end of the story, even um, the temple guards, uh, the Levites who were sent to arrest Jesus, they're so impressed by his teaching that they can't arrest him and they leave him alone. So Jesus shows great authority by his teaching, but, but people are scared, they're afraid. And so they don't throw their lot in with him. Well, we might be able to relate to that perhaps more and more in Australia. Uh, it's becoming more than just a bit weird or quaint to follow Jesus. In some communities, it's considered kind of dangerous or it's like a bad thing, harmful to people. Uh, our world is, or many, many in our culture are so, value so much their individual freedom and expression to live however they want to live. The idea that submission to a God is a good thing is, is just the worst. <laughs> to listen to, to God is a way to deny our freedom to some people in a way that's terribly harmful. And so maybe Christians will face more clashes with this culture into the future. You might have already, you might have already found it difficult to make or keep friends as a Christian if uh, you, you might find that there are areas of your career that are hard to progress in for being a Christian. But remember, it would be so sad to give up on Jesus, to give up on eternal life because of fear. Be reminded that this world is only temporary, to stand firm, and that Jesus will ultimately return and triumph. There's no temporary pleasure that's worth giving up Jesus and eternal life for. In the story today, we see people's unbelief because of their stubbornness. And again, particularly the Jewish leaders here. The, another reason for unbelief is stubbornness. The people, the Jewish leaders particularly, they just want to justify what they already believe. They don't want to investigate Jesus properly. They just don't want to hear it. We see these attitudes as well in the crowds. And they grumble that Jesus is from the wrong area. They say, well, the, the great prophet, he's not going to be from... Um, from Galilee. They don't believe they were waiting for a, a prophet to come after, uh, after Moses. He said there'd be a greater prophet than him come one day, but no, he's not going to be from Galilee. And in verse 27, it says that some believe no one would know where the Messiah was from. Now, they would have been aware of prophecies that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. What it kind of means is they, they sort of thought that the Messiah would come in this triumph and just cruise straight to victory in, in battle and get rid of the Romans from uh, their land in Israel and then they'd sort of know he's the Messiah. There would be no kind of, is he, isn't he like Jesus? Is he, where's he from? Who is he? Uh, so that's probably what it means by that. But there is kind of an, uh, an irony that, uh, well, Jesus grew up in Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem. So he actually was from the place uh, where the Messiah was prophesied to be born. But the people just seem unwilling, or the leaders as well, to really investigate. They have predetermined ideas about Jesus. They think he's just from the wrong place and they're not going to look into it. 
And so Jesus challenges them. I think verse 27 is a really interesting one, just a key message, a key reminder from Jesus. He says, look beneath the surface. Look beneath the surface. So you've probably met, all of us have met people who just, they, they have strong opinions about Jesus and yet they've never really investigated him for who he is, never read a gospel, never understood uh, the teaching of Jesus and what he's like. But of course, since you're here this morning, whether you're a convinced believer or a skeptic, you're in the right place. And so I want to encourage you for being here, for investigating Jesus. Uh, You're with God's people wrestling with these questions as we look through the book of John. Is he really God's son? Can I really put my trust in him? And so I want to encourage you, if if you're looking, keep looking. Spend that time to read a gospel yourself, read through the book of John for yourself. Yes, it takes a little bit of time. You don't have to do it in one sitting. But keep looking. Uh, you, don't have, you could read a book uh, that answers some of the questions you're wrestling with. I'm sure that if there's a question you're wrestling with, somebody has thought about it, somebody's written about it in a helpful way, and you could ask a friend or myself if you'd like to read something that will help you to look beneath the surface, to look into who Jesus is, not just to go with our cultures or your own predetermined ideas. The, Jesus points out that often with the Pharisees and the leaders here, their, their ignorance, their lack of understanding about him is, though, it is more than just an intellectual kind of a thing. It's, it's a willful ignorance. Uh, see, the Pharisees want to put him to death for being a false prophet, but they don't realize that Jesus fulfills the Scripture. And they're wrong in their interpretation of the Scripture. The crowds even, they start... Um, thinking that they don't, they don't understand what's happening with their leaders. They think um, that he's crazy for thinking that they're trying to kill him. Jesus shows their inconsistencies in verses 21 to 23 that by doing good things on the Sabbath, you don't break the law, you keep it. So they have nothing to, to charge against him. There's no kind of rational basis there from the law or anything else as to why they want to k- kill Jesus. But verse, 20, uh, verse 17 rather speaks to the reality that some people just reject God because they want to. It's, it's a moral reason, and, and essentially that's what we all like. All of us have that part of us that doesn't really want to do the will of God. So people will say sometimes that the reason they don't believe in God, it's, it's all intellectual, there's not enough evidence or things like that, but Jesus says that if you're morally willing to follow him, you'll be intellectually convinced that he's the way and the truth and the life. So often, recognizing who Jesus is is like a, it's a moral exercise, not just an intellectual one. So there, ha- there has to be a, a certain humility about, humility about us if we want to discover the truth about Jesus. A recognition that we don't decide who or what God is like. That God is who he is. He reveals himself to us as he is. Uh, the Pharisees later on accuse the the temple guards uh, when they go to hear Jesus preach of being uneducated. It's a way of mocking them. Oh, well, you're not intellectually vigorous vigorous enough. You haven't gone to the right training school. The crowds don't follow them. They're ignorant. But they've been impressed by Jesus' teaching because he teaches from God. So we have to accept that God reveals himself to us as he is, not as we might like him to be. If God chooses to reveal himself by coming to earth as a human, as an ordinary man, 
And it's not up to us to question the wisdom of that. If we want to do the will of God, to accept that his ways are good, then we'll discover the truth about Jesus, that he's God in the flesh. As we accept that truth, we accept and start to learn that that is good and God is good and that God's plan is good. So there's some reactions to Jesus. Let's finish by seeing how important it is to believe in Jesus because he talks about the good things that he offers us. Just briefly, he says, he speaks from God. In, in, in chapter 6, verse 66, some of his followers, as I mentioned before, abandon Jesus. They give up on him because his teachings just seem so hard to understand. But Peter says something that has stuck to me, or stuck with me when I, from when I first heard it. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus reveals God. He speaks from God. He speaks on and with God's authority. In chapter 7, verse 31, some people do. They start to acknowledge, what what more could you want the Messiah to do? What would you want God to do to convince you that he is, uh, that Jesus is God? The people there saw Jesus' miraculous signs with their own eyes. They heard his teaching with their own ears. And the conclusion they came to was that Jesus really was the Messiah. He was their God. He was their King. Now, it would take his resurrection to convince some, like his brothers. But once they saw those things, they would reshape the world by going out and telling everybody about how he'd risen from the dead. And in fact, they would give their lives to preach that truth around the world. Jesus knows, he says in verses 33 and 34, that he won't be with them forever, that his ultimate plan is to go and die and to take the punishment for our sins and to give us eternal life. And that's one of the great reasons for following Jesus, one of the great promises we have that if we follow Jesus, we're forgiven. He refers again to being like living water. And that's very significant for this festival because part of the festival was the priests would, in a parade, they'd end up pouring water all over the altar and things like this. And there was a symbol to that. There was a symbol that, that God had provided everything they needed, like he'd provided water in the desert in Moses' time, and then he provided rain and the rivers and so on for their crops. Now, we are probably experiencing more flooding, um, thinking, gee, do we need more you know, water flowing everywhere? But, of course, be, be reminded that living in an arid sort of area... That's what life represented. It was, sorry, that's what water represented. It represented life. You needed water to live. We need water to live as it, uh, it causes our crops and so on to grow. And so at this festival, they looked forward to a time when God would pour out his abundant blessing on his people as well when the Messiah came. And Jesus says that what that represents is something he fulfills the Holy Spirit being given by God to all those who believe in him. And that's the promise. That's why we we follow Jesus. We're all spiritually thirsty. We all long in our lives to have meaning and significance and purpose. And Jesus offers those things. And he offers his presence with us through his Holy Spirit to give us life, to give us eternal life. When Jesus... When we believe in Jesus, his, spirits live, his Spirit lives with us and in us. It's like a never-ending fountain, giving us life forever. That is the blessing of believing in Jesus, the Spirit coming to live with us. 
And the, the great thing is, the blessing is that all we need to do is ask. We don't earn that. We simply ask. We simply confess that, yes, we all have that will in us, that desire to rebel against God, to reject Him. But Jesus has paid the, the price for that, for that sin. And so, whether, you, as I said, you're a committed Christian, whether you're a skeptic, there can't be any harm in praying as you're here this morning. Jesus, if you're truly the Son of God, show me. Help me to see that. Of course, it's not a new thing. People love to have debates and strong opinions about celebrities, politicians, athletes, all sorts of prominent people. There's a lot of people it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Maybe we don't need to argue about certain people. But John tells us that by believing in Jesus, the offer is there for eternal life. It really, really matters. He says that if we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, by believing, you may have life in his name. That's what's on offer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will reveal yourself to each one of us truly. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. Thank you for Jesus giving your life for us so that our sins could be paid for and wiped away. Please help us to lay aside every temptation to give this up in unbelief in Jesus' name. Amen.